I also can't see um, management doing that considering his contract. Uh, he's got a substantial. I mean, as far as the Mets go, anyway, he's got a he's got a, a fairly substantial deal, and they're not going to want to they're not going to want to be paying a Triple A player that kind of money. Yeah, so, I don't think it's just I, for I, the Mets. I think for any team in in baseball, I believe he's making six and a half million dollars, and and that's uh, that's quite a lot for a fourth outfielder or fifth outfielder, depending upon how you look at it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So. I mean, you know, in, in a vacuum, I'd send down Ligaris, but the money enters into it. So, so now earlier why, you mentioned. I, um, I, I I grudgingly agree with with I grudgingly agree with the move. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Now, now earlier you were mentioning uh, Mickey Calloway and and seeming to do all of the right things. How well do you think he's managing the bullpen? Um. I think he's. I think he's doing a, a. He's doing a better job than Terry Collins. I'll, I'll give you that. A um, couple of nitpicks I have about it. Uh, I. Um, I don't like the way he's using Jerry Blevins. You know, even tonight, just one hitter and, and he was out of there. Uh, I'm not a big fan of that. Because um, I think he can go. He can go deeper in innings. He's proved that. He proved that last year. Uh, and. Uh, like tonight, I would have, I almost would have, um, they didn't really didn't need the insurance ones. I would have let Gisellman back for himself in the ninth and brought him back out there in the bottom of the ninth rather than fiddle around with it. Um, but in terms of, he's, he's really getting hamstrung by the fact that, you know, as you mentioned, too, as you mentioned before, tonight was the first time a Mets starter got into the seventh inning. And, you know, he's run into pitch count issues with, with DeGrom twice. Um, Syndergaard just, like, hasn't looked right, really, in three starts. Now, they've, they've won all these games. Um, but if he, keeps using, if he keeps having to go to the bullpen in the seventh inning every game, they're going to be gassed by the end of June. They called up first uh, Corey Oswalt and then uh, later subbed him out for, for Zach Wheeler giving them a 13-man pitching staff. But, and and to your point about using guys a lot, and then at the same time you're using Ramos for less than an inning, Blevins for only one batter at a time, and Sewell goes, what, 10 days without being used? So right. I, I, I generally am am in favor of, of what Callaway has done, but I still think that there's there's room for improvement there. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's still feeling his way out, really. Um, he's still getting comfortable with his personnel and, and figuring out, you know, what it is they can do. Now, they keep winning. So he's apparently doing a good job of feeling that out. Um but I think he's still. I think he's still in the process. Of, I think he's still part of his learning curve. Is what that is. Now, uh, a follow-up question on this: um, Do you have any concerns at all about? Um, we're in, I guess, what you would call recent uncharted waters with having relief pitchers going two and even three innings at a time. Uh, that's not something that we've seen in in a couple of years. Do you have any concerns about um, Lugo and Gesellman being able to keep up that pace over a full season? 
not really because they are stretched out. They've been stretched out over their careers as starters, you know, so they're used to going multiple innings. Now they used to be, they're used to doing that, you know, with four days rest in between. Um, but I think they're more, they're, they're used to the, they're, they're a little more used to the, okay, throw your inning, go sit down, cool down, warm back up. You know, they're, they're used to the up and down of it, you know, within the game. Um, you know, how long they can do that again, without, without four days off in between, uh, remains to be seen, but I like what I'm seeing, you know, I mean, they're both incredibly effective weapons, but if I were Lugo, I'd be a little upset. I mean, he's, he's the putative fifth starter and he hasn't gotten a start yet. So, <laughs> and, and doesn't look likely to get one anytime soon either. Exactly. Now, we were well, talking about how everything's going right. I'm sorry, go ahead. We were talking about how everything was, was going right, or the majority of things were going right for the Mets, but now we've got a little bit of a, a catcher concern. Before the, the game, earlier today, we learned that uh, Travis Darno's got what could be a very serious injury that may require surgery, and then during the game, Kevin Ploiecki gets hit, uh, hit by a pitch. So uh, I guess what I originally intended to ask you here was about, um, I, I guess I was a little surprised that they called up Nito rather than uh, Lobaton when Darno went on the DL. Did that surprise you too? Um, a little bit. I mean, but um, the thing to remember is Lobaton isn't on the 40-man roster. So there would have to be, there would have to be a move made. Now, what they could have done easily is, shift David Wright from the 10-day DL to the 60-day DL because I don't think he's coming back anytime soon um, and done that and brought Lobaton up. But uh, Gary Cohn made a great point. If um, if, Dar- if Darno, if it's a worst-case scenario for Darno and he does need Tommy John surgery, a la P.J. Rivera, um, then they can push they could put him on the 60 day and move Lobaton to the 40 man and bring him up. Now, I also, um, I don't know if there, there uh, have been any results gotten back from, uh, the lucky's x-ray. Uh, so I don't know if it's an automatic thing that he's going on the DL. Now, if this were a year or so ago, they wouldn't do anything <laughs> for about five days <laughs> and they'd play a man down and then say, Oh geez, he's really hurt. Um, so I mean, depending on what the X-ray says, and if he actually is going to be DL, um, they're probably going to, you know, they're going to wait on making any of those moves. I thought it was very interesting that that after it happened, I mean, obviously it was a um, a, uh, a very fast pitch. They were speculating that it was a, in the upper 90s that hit some flush on the hand. But he stays in the game and and runs the bases, and they showed a shot in the dugout of him putting the catching gear on like he was going to come out the next inning. But the Mets batted around, and his spot came up again, and then they sent up a pinch hitter. So I wonder if it was they just didn't want to uh, risk further injury by him swinging the bat, that they were more concerned with him swinging the bat than they were actually playing defense, which seems just a touch surprising to me. Yeah, yeah. I I, th- I think there. I think it. I think that might be a case of in this particular game being better safe than sorry. 
I'll tell you what, what I was scared about was after Plowecki scored uh, the go-ahead run, he was in there slapping five with everybody in the dugout, and I'm yelling at the TV <laughs> going, watch his hands, watch his hands! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah he it couldn't have too bad if he was doing that, or or if he did it more than once. You know, you, you figure you can have the brain fart and do it once, and then, oh, my God! <laughs> right, right. But he was giving everybody some good wax. I mean, he was giving them, you know, Gary Carter high fives. <laughs> well, um, well, I was more concerned, about, gears. more concerned about that. Yeah, yeah. So let, let's talk about uh, the pitching. We've got two guys who are on the DL who I'm assuming will be back sooner rather than later. So who gets sent down when uh, Swarzak and Vargas return to the active roster? Uh, you know, that's the one question I didn't have a real ready answer for. <laughs> Um, I think the obvious one to go uh, when Swarzak comes back is going to be Seawolf. Um, but I mean, you, I don't know how you send you send uh, Wheeler out um, if he continues to pitch the way he did tonight when when Vargas comes back. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, what they always say. You know, you never have too much pitching, and it's a quote unquote nice problem to have. Um, I think with Wheeler around, Vargas, they have the luxury of not, of letting Vargas stretch himself out for as long as he needs to. You know, I mean, again, you don't want to be paying anybody that much money while they're on the shelf. But, um, you know, I think, uh, I think, you know, Vargas can take all the time he needs now. Uh, as far as who gets sent down when he comes, when he comes up. I mean, Hansel uh, Robles maybe, but he's been good too. You know, there, there, there really hasn't been a bad move yet. <laughs> so, I, my, my, that's a really long way to say I don't know. But now, that's, with that's my with answer. Vargas, he hasn't pitched a competitive game in in quite some time. So I don't think that there's anything wrong with maximizing his. Uh, time spent in the minors and there's contractual uh, things and how long they can keep him in the minors uh, on a rehab assignment before they actually have to option him. And clearly they wouldn't right. do anything like that. But uh, I, I want to say that it's like 20 days that, that you can do that. It's, it's some, somewhere in that vicinity. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Mets max that out uh, unless somebody like Wheeler falls apart in the ne- his next two turns, something like that. And then if, if the move is obvious, then you bring him up. But otherwise, I, I think they're going to slow play it with uh, with Vargas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in an ideal world, I'd love to see the Mets do with him like the Yankees used to do with El Duque. You know, they used, to, they used to joke about him running on the beach for four months and then bring him up at the end of August. <laughs> you know? And have him, and, and you know, let him win seven games down the stretch and pitch, you know, five games in the playoffs. So, uh, if they could do that, that'd be great. <laughs> That's an interesting idea because Vargas has uh, a pretty solid history of performing better in the first half than he does in the second half. And you have to wonder if if that's due to he's only got so many bullets in his arm, or does he just like April, May, and June better than he likes July, August, and September? So if if he only has the, so many bullets, save it save it for August. 
I'm, I could be down with that. But uh, one guy who's, who does seem to have an awful lot of bullets is uh, uh, Jerry's Familia, who's, who's just off to a great start. And, you know, it, it's, it, it's not lost on me that, you know, he was really good in 2015 and 2016, and so were the Mets. And then last year he had the suspension and then the injury problems, and the Mets fell apart without him. And then he's got, I think it's five saves now. Um, he saved five of the ten yeah. games and only didn't get another one tonight because he needed a blow. So is his success more important to the team than we may have previously thought? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, as always, this team's going to live and die with its starting pitching. I mean, the health of its starting pitching, the quality of its starting pitching. But I think we saw last year, as you say, like just how big – and how key a cog uh, familia is to this entire staff. Um, I don't think he was ever right last year. I mean, I think the uh, uh, you know the personal problems that he had just just threw him off. And then when he did come back, I think he tried to rush himself back to sh- back to shape and and ended up hurting himself. Um, so I think with all of that behind him, I think. Uh, I think he's a guy who, who's, who's, you know, whose headspace is very important to him, and uh, he didn't have he didn't have that last year, and I think he does now, and I think he's firing on all cylinders, and you know, well, let's let's hope he can keep it going, you know, through the rest of the summer, and and again, and hope his arm doesn't fall off at the end of June. Now, do you worry that? Batters may just wake up and say, you know, we're just not going to swing at Familia's pitches because he throws the sinker and it's never a strike. Uh, you know, they could, and that's a great theory on paper. You know, you say, hey, why don't they just lay off? But it's a lot different when you're, you know, at the other end of 60 feet, 6 inches, and it's coming towards you, and it looks like one thing and ends up being another. Um, you know, it's easy to these classic case of easier said than done. Well, we have reached the uh, crazy prediction time in the show. I'm, I'm going to give you a, a crazy prediction, or at least one that I think is crazy, and then ask for you to comment, and then have uh, you give me your crazy prediction. Are you ready? Go for it. All right, so. Um, in in the prediction column that I wrote before the start of the season, I said that the uh, the, the Mets were going to win the uh, season series um, against the Nationals and off to a, a great start in that one, sweeping them in D.C. earlier. And I didn't say it, but it was certainly implied that the Mets would finish ahead of the Nationals. So in my crazy prediction tonight, I'm going to one-up on that, and I'm going to say that not only do the Mets finish ahead of the Nationals, but that the Braves do too. So I want to know from you, how crazy is that? Um, you know, it's not as crazy as, as one might think. Uh, I think um, that Washington team is a different team without Daniel Murphy, just as, you know, the Mets were a different team without Daniel Murphy in his his talent was running away from him at a at a rapid rate you know due to injury and age 
they also miss Jason Ward. They also miss his leadership, I think. Number two. Number three, Ryan Zimmerman is nowhere near the player he was a year ago right now. So, I mean, yes, they still have Scherzer. They still have Strasburg. They still have Bryce Harper, obviously, of course. They still have Anthony Rendon, who's a thorn in everybody's side. And they're still formidable, but it's not out of the realm of possibility that the Braves could pass them by. All right, so you were lukewarm on mine. So show me what a real crazy prediction is like. What's yours? Well, not particularly crazy. I say that the Mets will continue this winning streak. It's already at eight games. I think it's going to stretch another four, and they will break the team record for consecutive wins in a season with 12. That will have them be 14-1 after 15 games. 14-1 after 15 games. I'd say that's certainly tilting on the crazy side. They've won these last two games in rather unusual fashion, falling behind with one of their best pitchers on the mound two nights ago and then being no hit for six innings or however long it was tonight and then coming back and winning the game by three. And you've got to feel that at some point that luck streak is just due to run out. So they're 10-1 now. You're predicting that they're going to win four more games. I wouldn't go full-on crazy, but I'll give you a little crazy on that one. Well, I'll tell you, the way I look at this team, I did not expect them. I certainly didn't expect them to come back and win last night. I thought they were going to end up getting no hit. I thought this was going to be the Chris Heston moment of 2018. So I sort of halfway didn't expect them to come back tonight, even though they were only down one run. But I see an awful lot of 69 in this team. It's the same kind of feeling that they're never out of it. They could be down 7-0 in the seventh inning, and they still have a puncher's chance. It's a weird feeling to have for me, and I'm not entirely sure I trust it because I've been burned on it before. But this team's never out until they count 10. Well, if we see a black cat come out and run in front of the Cubs dugout, we'll know that we're channeling a certain year. So I want to ask you about one player who I guess it's fair to say he's not my favorite, but he's certainly been productive while he's been on the Mets, and that's Jubal Cabrera. This is his third year on the team. But do you feel like you have a good read on what he is as a player? And I'm thinking specifically of where you would bat him in the lineup and where he fits best defensively, and that's regardless of who else is on the team at the moment. He kind of got shunted over to second base once they signed Frazier, but do you feel like in an ideal situation that's where you'd play him? And tonight he batted first, the same question. In an ideal situation, would you bat him first? And if not, where would you have him in both of those scenarios? I would keep him at second base. I definitely have him at second base. That's his best position right now. 
Uh, he's really no longer a shortstop. He's in kind of the same boat that Jose Reyes is uh, in terms of, you know, they're older now and, and their legs are starting to go. So I think I think second base is, is his best shot uh, defensively. Uh, as far as uh, in the batting order goes, um, if the trend weren't to put your big power hitters, your, you know, uh, Stantons or – Cespedes's, or would that be Cespedai? Um <laughs> Stanton or Cespedes or Harper or somebody like that. The trend now is to bat them second. If that weren't happening, if it was, if 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 they decided to go traditional and leave Cespedes third, I would put Cabrera uh, in the two hole because um, he's, you know, he's got he's got good power and he's still good at getting on base. Um, Either that, or I would bat him sixth if they want to. If they want to still do that, because rapidly, uh, you know, in today's in today's game, the the most important spots are no longer three and four; they're two and six. You know, uh, so you want your real pro hitters up in up in either of those two spots. Uh, so that's what I would do. I would leave him at second and bat him either second or sixth. Now we had an interesting thing in tonight's game where the the Marlins had a, a lefty on the mound and the Mets sent up uh, two left-handed uh, pinch hitters, which absolutely no way would that have happened under Terry Collins. And the the second of those was was Adrian Gonzalez, and of course he delivered uh, he delivered a, a key hit in in the uh, in the comeback tonight. So. I, I was pretty down on on Gonzalez coming into the year, and, and uh, I'm real pleased to see that he's proving me wrong here the first two weeks of the season. So I guess I want to ask you: do, do you feel good about Adrian Gonzalez being here all year? I feel better now than I did three weeks ago. Um, <laughs> I'll say that I thought I, I really thought you know it was a lost cause, and I was going along with with everybody. You know, most of the experts and pundits who said he would be out of here by June, uh, and your first baseman would be some sort of combo of of uh, Flores and Bruce, um, or maybe you know pick somebody up at the at the deadline. Um, I'm very happy to be wrong because he's been a very valuable hitter. Even tonight, coming off the bench, I didn't think that was gonna was gonna go well, especially against the lefty. So I'm 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 shocked and I'm pleased. <laughs> well, we only have about a minute left. I want to um, circle back to the the catcher situation that we were talking about earlier, uh, and what the the Mets might do if uh, Ploiecki is is uh, going to require some some DL time as, as well as Darno and. Uh, they've already called up Nito. Uh, we talked about uh, they might create uh, room on the 40-man for uh, Jose Lobaton to call him up. But do you think that that would automatically be what they do, or do you think that they might explore the trade market and, and look to pick somebody else up, uh, a, another catcher to uh, split time with, uh, uh, I guess, with Nito? Um, I, I know that the, the catching market is not particularly good uh, you know, here in 2018, but 
Um, you know, perhaps neither is Jose Lobaton. Right, right. Um, all the time when the catching market has ever been good. I mean, <laughs> these guys don't exist. They, they, they don't. You never hear about, oh, my God, there's like a lot of catchers out there. You know, somebody's got too many catchers. You never hear that. Um, so I don't know what would be available out on the trade market. I mean, they're not they're not going to go out and trade for Jonathan Lucroy. You know, they're not finding, uh, you know, Johnny Bench isn't out there. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. So, so I think they're gonna they're gonna ride the uh, if 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 necessary they're gonna ride the uh, the Nito Lobatone combination as long as they possibly can, and then just only explore trade market as a as a as a absolutely last resort. That's what I think. Well, we are all out of time. Um, Charlie, uh, I'd like to thank you for uh, uh, joining me tonight and talking about the uh, 10 and 1 Mets. Any ideas on uh, what tomorrow's article will be yet? <laughs> as soon as I find out, I'll let you know. Ah, fantastic. Well, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Please tune again next uh, Wednesday night at 11 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, until then, good night, everyone, and goodbye. Hey, good night, Brian. Thank you.